I've been on a venture here lately, observing things, uh, and what what moves people. Uh, you know, when we had Al and uh, those dine chairs up here, and uh, that was really, really an interesting event, I think, for us. And one of the things that came out of there was, you know, some things that we saw was needed by this next generation in order to carry the torch forward. And y'all have picked it up. I mean, I've got to tip my hat to you guys. Uh, you're, do, you're doing the right things. you got to read the Bible. And you also need something that I have been seeing operational more in the wrong way than the right way. It is this force that's out there. Uh, it drives people. And that's what we kept telling you guys. You need a passion for the Lord. And passion is a word that, that, that gets close to it, but there is a biblical word for it. It's called zeal. Zeal. And we all have it. God has it. And we are created in his image. And so he granted that same thing to us. How we use it is on us. And it really matters to God, you know, how you, how you use it. But I see it being a driver of conduct in the world. There's zeal all over the world. And people are so zealous, in a sense, that they would even kill others on behalf of their zeal. I mean, look at the Muslims. I mean, if you were going to, honestly, if you're going to measure zeal just on, based on what actions are taken, the Muslims are smoking us. They really are. So, uh, I mean, by the deeds they do. So, they, they put uh, feet to what they believe. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 20. I thought today, well, I want to do a couple, of, two or three studies on zeal. But I think it's something you guys need to be aware of so you can kind of use it in the right way and focus your, your life in the right way. So, today is going to be more informative than, than it is anything. It's kind of an overview, a biblical overview of zeal, zeal. Chapter 20 of Exodus, if you'll notice, the caption is the Ten Commandments. So here we are, the, the ten big ones. And the second commandment starts in verse 4. Um, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Zealous, jealous, zeal, same word. A jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the generation of the children of the third and fourth generations. So, the second commandment forbids idol worship. You should make no other gods. You know, no, no formation of anything. Because when you worship that, you are going to provoke the zeal of God. Okay? So God has it. And if, if you can look again at the Muslims, for example, as a picture of just how expressive zeal can become, you should think about how expressive it can become in the hands of God. Because he's got the, the full scope of zeal, shall we say. He's not... Holding back on any of it. There's one more scripture I want you to see about that. Uh, chapter 34 of, of Exodus. He's sending, uh, of course the people messed up and 
those Ten Commandments tablets got broken. Moses had to do some new ones. So we've got new tablets, but he's, we're back where we started from. And he's, he's stating some more about this issue, the, the Second Commandment, when we pick it up in verse 11, I believe. Let me look. Uh, no, 13. Uh, when you go into the promised land, he's telling them, you shall destroy the altars that are there. False gods. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. In other words, idol worship. Destroy it. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous god. Now that ratchets it up quite a bit. Not that just that jealous describes God. It says here that his name is jealous. So when God says my name is, what he's saying, this is me. Jealous is me. So what is it? What does this word actually mean? He is jealous. It's in this very fiber. So we have to deal with it. Well, there's a Hebrew word for it, and then there's a Greek word for it. Old Testament, New Testament. So let's start with the Old Testament, since that's where we are. The word is kana. It means zeal, jealous, envy. Those are the three big words that you'll see uh, that, that we will um, put in the English versions of the Bible. But this is the same word, kana. It is a very strong emotion towards someone or something. So something that you desire, there's a strong emotion towards that thing or person. Uh, it is also uh, often shown as sexual passion. Or you can say sexual passion is a good way to describe it. You know, that's how intense that is. Uh, and even more often than not, it is used to describe the jealousy of a husband. Not saying that women are not jealous. They are. In fact, in some ways, they're more innovative with their jealousy. They will do things to body parts and stuff that are, you know. But that's from God. Innovative, yeah. Men are, are simple. Just blow their heads off. Now, women, you know, they want them to live with something, you know, like maybe stuck to their body or something. This is weird. Or, you know, make them into a woman. Or they will do things. But it's, it's, that, it's that passion that comes through the sexual relationship. It's a big deal. And don't get too crazy with this, but I know some of you freak out when Annie starts talking like this. But it literally is like, you know, sexual passion is like a picture of, of worship that we have with God. You ever hear Annie say, I want to make love to God? And everybody, all the women go, ugh, 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 ugh. Guys go, yeah, I get it. <laughs> it's that desire to go there and be one. And nothing else matters at that moment. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Men are idiots when they get into that position. Women have more brains. But not men. Am I right, guys? I mean, you, when it's to, to, to that point, there's nothing that you won't do to go through with it. I've done some stupid things in the name of that. Have you guys? Never. Never. We, we should make a list sometimes and not sign it, of course, just on the stupid things that people will do over that thing right there. It is unbelievable. 
If you were in your right mind, you would never do that. But you're not when you're in your zealous mind. It takes over. Well, so the jealousy of a husband. In fact, the central theme concerning zeal relates to marriage. More often than not, it's about marriage. So, that's why we can say we all have it. But it's not just about marriage. There's other things as well. Now, we'll show you some of them. In the Greek or in the New Testament, the word is, is a zealous. And it means to be hot. To literally boil over. To be fervent. A stormy movement describes it. A stormy movement. A burning desire. Passion. At the highest level. So they're, you know, they're, they're pointing to the same thing. They are the same thing. Now, from whence it comes is the question. You know, where is it coming from? Well, I said earlier that God, he is this. And then he created us in his image. And that was part of the package. But it's supposed to come from your father. And I think Mark even talked last week about, well, who is your father? Look at James. The one thing that Satan tries to do is counterfeit or be like what God does. So if God gives us something, Satan will try to give you that same thing in a little twisted format. You remember what he did with Jesus when he, when he, when he tempted Jesus? Like one of the tests was he took him up to a high mountain and showed him all the nations of the earth. And said, I will give you all of these nations if you will just bow down and worship me. Well, newsflash. God the Father had already promised all those nations to Jesus if he would obey him and go to the cross. So Satan's trying to pull the same stunt without the cost, we think. And let him be the giver of that thing. Okay, so he's good at it. Don't ever underestimate your enemy. He's really, really good at it. So in James, we sort of see that concerning zeal. James chapter 3, verse 13. And so here we're going to start seeing, you know, where is it coming from? It's not that it doesn't exist and it's not, that it's not operational at any moment. Like Again, I just point to the Muslims. Where is it coming from? Whose father gave it to you that you're operating in right now? Chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy or selfish ambition, that's what that word means, bitter envy, selfish ambition, and, I, I messed these up, self-seeking is uh, Selfish ambition. Bitter envy is zeal. If you have zeal and selfish ambition in your heart, those two things together, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. So the zeal, when coupled with selfish ambition, it's real, but it didn't come from God. It didn't descend from heaven. It is demonic. Came from your other father down here, masquerading as God. Verse 16, for where 
Envy or this zeal. And self-seeking exist. Confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Look, let's just keep going though. Chapter 4, verse 1. Because really it's the same thought. So where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet or zeal, jealous, envious. You covet and you cannot obtain. Why? You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive. Because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers. Now hold it. Adulterers. Those are people that are breaking the covenant of marriage. Right? And adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And it's all about, all this package together has to include zeal. Okay? Now he says, you have something that God wants you to have? Ask him for it. Don't ask Satan. Or don't go to Satan's ways and hope to get what your goals are. You may get them. But you missed God, and you made yourself his enemy. So we asked God. You know, I want to throw out something here for you. Did you know that most of the things that we are zealous for actually have to do with what we're called to be? At least if you're a Christian, the, the thing that is most paramount in your life that, that you're zealous for is your calling in life. Jeremiah 29, 11. God knows his plans for you. Psalm 139, all the days were written beforehand, things he had for me to do. He had a plan for my life. And I'm supposed to plug in some point and nail that thing and ask God for it. Ask him for what he has written for me. Now, it's interesting. If, if you want to... Let's say you want to be a prophet. Think you're, you're supposed to be a prophet. You think that's the calling of your life. Did you know there comes a point where you need to ask God for that? And maybe he'll say no. Why? Because you want to use it for something other than what he wants to use it for. You want to use it for you. Build a big ministry. Make money. Get a, get a name for yourself. Is any of that glorified Jesus Christ? Maybe a little. Because he used his name a lot. But the bottom line is you. So you ask him this, and he won't give it to you. Amen? You either don't ask at all, or you try to make it happen yourself, or you ask and he won't give it to you because you're still not right in your heart towards him. Your selfish ambition is driving you. Your lust is driving you. Does anybody out there have any lust for money? Any of you? Is anybody honest in the crowd? Anybody? Of course you are. Because when you were born, 
You wanted your brother's toy. Why? Because he has it and you want it. It's all about me. That's why the cross came. Kill you. Amen? So here's how the whole issue with zeal goes. It's either envy or it's jealous. Envy is when you want something that belongs to another. Jealous is when you want something that should be yours. You can be jealous for the right thing, and God will honor it. But if you try to get something that's not yours, or you want to use it the wrong way, that's called envy, and God is not in that at all. You think that might be going on in our world today? In the body of Christ today. Why is the body of Christ beginning to separate? What do you think? I think it's over motivation. Motivation. Hmm. So it's all about, really, what am I called to do and be? And can then you discern even closer how I use the gifts that God would give me to be what I'm supposed to be for him? Let's talk about prophets. What's the difference between a prophet and a false prophet? And that's the only difference. What's the chief name in the Bible for false prophet? Say it again. Balaam. You ever read his prophecies? Oh, for you that are reading the Bible... You're fixed to read Balaam's prophecies. You're close. Has anybody got down to the book of Genesis yet? Exodus. Anybody got down to that yet? You're getting close. Are you going into the numbers yet? So you went through Balaam. His prophecies are awesome. Man, they bless Israel like crazy. And you know what? God doesn't reveal what he said at all. God sent him and said, you say what I tell you to say. And he did. So why are we calling him a false prophet in the New Testament? And why did they kill him in the Old Testament? Because he didn't like what God's calling meant to him. It didn't make him any money. And so he went around. He did what God said to do. So he did the works that God said for him to do. And then he went around God and went back to these nations and said, here's how you get them, Israel. You send the women in. And they gave him money. False prophet. So what's the difference between the good and the false? The motivation about you. It doesn't have to be just money, folks. But money usually is at the bottom of the well. Always follow the money trail. You be 99% of the time, you will find what you're looking for truth okay so how do you deal with a call look over in genesis genesis chapter 30 and remember our little formula envy is wanting what somebody else should have 
Jealous is wanting what I should have. Chapter 30 of Genesis, verse 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister, Leah, and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. <laughs> Don't you think he's feeling the pressure? <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> What else can I do, right? Verse 2. <laughs> so he basically says that. And Jacob's anger was around. I'm sure he was a little ticked. Get off my head. You won't know kids. Just keep bouncing my head around like that. I guarantee you it'll be over. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? That's a great question, isn't it? And so you go round and round and round about this particular issue. Was Rachel supposed to have kids? Was the calling of her life written before there were any days of the, was she supposed to have kids? Yeah, that, okay, you gotta read the Bible to know this, okay? She had two. Now her sister knocked it out of the ballpark. She had like six or something like that. And so, you know, she, but she was envious. Of what her sister was called to do. Isn't that interesting? So it brings up a lot, folks. You know, as we as we march forward, as a, as a body, as a, as a multitude of people coming together, working together, we're not all having the same function. You know, some of you in the hand, the foot, and other portions of the bo- of the body. We know us, most of the men are right. We already got that part nailed down. You didn't miss that one, did you? Starts with A. So, the point, <laughs> bad joke. The, the point of this is there's two points. Don't worry about your brother and what he's supposed to do. Jesus told uh, Peter that about James and John. About John. Is he going to die? Don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. You do what I tell you to do. Don't worry about the other guy. Don't want what they do. All right? You're not going to walk in their shoes either, by the way, and pay the price that they're having to pay for Leah to get six kids. You know what the price that she paid for that? Her husband never loved her. How's that for a price? Pretty rough price. And Rachel got all the love, but she only got two kids. And the second point to be made out of that is patience. You know, Leah was way ahead of her in this game. By the time she made this comment, Leah's already four down on her. I mean, she, she had already had four kids. And I would say that represents at least four years, wouldn't y'all? Four or five years. I mean, so patience is an issue when it comes to your zeal. You have to let God bring it to you. Just like Jesus was tempted to take that offer from Satan right there, that day. But no, he waited. You gotta wait. All right, second one is in Genesis 37. Turn over there. Verse 5. Now, all the boys have been born now uh, through these two women and, and their concubines. Verse 5, Joseph, <laughs> the first kid that Rachel did have, had a dream. 
And he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And the reason even more is there because his daddy loved him. He was a special child to him. Uh, chapter f- uh, 37, verse 5. 5. He had a dream. They ha- he told it to his brothers. They hated him. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. And then behold, my sheaf arose and stood, uh, also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. What a good dream. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed he still another dream and told it to his brothers. And he wasn't the smartest guy around, it seems like to me. And he said, look, I've dreamed another dream. <laughs> and this time, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to him. By the way, the, the sun would be uh, Jacob, the moon would be the mother. And they had 12 sons. So he's the one that they're all bound. The other 11 are bound down to him. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. They envied him. So they wanted what he was called to do. So their zeal was directed, they was misdirected. They weren't satisfied with what God had called them to be. And each one of them had an amazing calling. They are the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, that's pretty big, but not the biggest, according to this. But did they have to pay the price for being Joseph? Nobody did. Hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, thrown into the jail. I mean, this guy had a a whole bunch of stuff that he had to walk through in order to get to that. And nobody else had to get there. He did it. So just just be content with what God is, is trying to give to you. And don't look around and watch TV and, and whatever else you guys watch these days, YouTube, whatever you watch. Say, I want to be that. You know, just be what you are. Just be what you are. God, God knows what you are. And guess what? He puts you here. That ought to tell you something. Right? I mean, it should say something to you. I had a hard time with this. I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I finally woke into the reality of what, what had happened to me, that God had you know, called me out of law school. I mean, surely something big is on the horizon. And I end up in Andrews in a church that gets blown up. And I'm left with this bag of... <laughs> Where you didn't even want to tell people what church you were a part of. And I thought, this is really what you had in mind? Let's get out of here. I want to be like somebody in Dallas with a big ministry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you, Steve. Exactly. And that's it. There you go. So, you know, God will kill these things in you. Hallelujah. It all works out. Just look where he's put you, how he's done with you, and be content with that. Why don't you just trust him? Instead of running out there trying to make it happen, why don't you just trust him to bring you to it and it to you? He will do that, by the way. He really will. If not, 
you're in trouble. Because what will happen to you is your zeal will be your ruin. Don't kid yourself. Because when you continue to be resistant to God's way and to his call, don't you think that your enemy, the other father, is out there trying to dangle something in front of you? And it looks just like the real deal. He's good at it. Okay, so, I said earlier, though, that the central theme about zeal is actually marriage. It's all, I mean, it's mainly about that. To the point where God and his relationship to Israel, he, he described it based upon that, that he was married to her. She was his wife. So there were rules put in the Old Testament concerning marriage. And if you messed up on it. So look at Leviticus. Anybody in Leviticus yet? Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20. The, the caption above it is penalties for breaking the law. Okay. Now, there's different penalties for different laws. Depending on how severe it was. Let's look at the one about marriage. Verse 10. The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall be surely put to death. That was the penalty for marriage, for breaking the marriage covenant. Why is that? Because... You remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve came together, he said this, a man will leave his father and mother and he'll join with her and the two will become one. So literally in the spirit, they become one entity, one person. And so when you committed adultery, what you were basically doing was you were severing part of the body off, which is tantamount to murder. And of course, the penalty for murder is death. So that's how they get there. That's how God got there. So how do you think God feels when he says, when you worship an idol, you're committing adultery against me. What's your penalty? It ain't good. Right? He's real serious about this. So it was, it was so strong that... Even if you didn't catch them, there was a way to get there. Look over in uh, Numbers 30, 27. Oh, that got it. it will, not Numbers 27, <laughs> Numbers 5. I forgot to put the number in the, the chapter. Woohoo! Numbers chapter 5, verse 27. Look at the uh, caption above verse 11. Concerning unfaithful wives. And this is one of the, all the women's favorite stories. Yeah, I, I would highly suggest it, uh, you young people, as you read this, uh, this Bible, read this part together. I'm just suggesting you have, you know, it's a good date night. Because how do you quit through fun? <laughs> you know, if a guy thought, that his wife was playing around, but he couldn't prove it. Well, like uh, verse 12 is that. If any man's wife goes astray and behaves unfaithfully toward him 
and a man lies with her carnally, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and it is concealed that she has defiled herself. And there was no witness against her, nor was she caught. She's getting away with it. Except something ain't right in his spirit, and the spirit of jealousy comes on him. Okay? So he's, hey, something's up here. The spirit of jealousy. Because that belongs to me. It ain't envy. It's jealousy. That is mine. Just like God feels about us. Then they had a, they had a test that she could go through. They got this water and they put some stuff in it. And then she had to drink it. And, uh, and it would prove whether or not she had done this thing. And so in verse 27, when he has made her drink the water, then it shall be, if she has defiled herself and behaved unfaithfully toward her husband, that the water that brings a curse will enter her and become bitter, and her belly will swell, her thigh will rot, and the woman will become a curse among the people. Bikini time. But if the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be free and may conceive children. This is the law of jealousy. When a wife, while under her husband's authority, goes astray and defiles herself. Or when the spirit of jealousy comes upon a man and becomes jealous of his wife, then he shall stand the woman before the Lord and the priest shall execute all this law upon her. And then the man shall be free from iniquity, but that woman shall bear her guilt. Now, it doesn't really say what that means after that. You know, she's going to bear her guilt. Uh, it doesn't say that she's going to be put to death. But she will be marked, in a sense. Y'all remember what happened with Jesus when they brought that woman to her? So she was caught in the very act. The law says what? Stoner. What did you say? One without sin cast for a stone. So, I mean, you know, it was still going on when Jesus was there. So that's how strong it was. That's my whole point in reading all that. Thank God we don't live in this thing anymore. Right? Praise the Lord. But that's how strong it was. That in the mind of God, the only answer to this was kill the guilty. Kill them. All right? So, without going through all the scriptures to prove it, just assume that I'm uh, telling you the truth. Israel played the harlot. She did exactly what he said don't do. She broke the second commandment so many times that she's probably in the Hall of Fame for that. You know, she was the adulterous wife. And so all that God said he would do, he did. He sent in nations against Israel to destroy first the ten tribes and then the second group of tribes. He destroyed their, their country. He, I mean, he devastated it. He broke down the temple where they worship, supposed to worship him. He didn't want no more of their worship. He was like a husband that figured it out. Over. So, look over in Ezekiel chapter 16. What God typically did all through the history of Israel was when they messed up, he would send another nation in there to kick their rear. It's called the chastening of the Lord. Assyria was often used. Other nations as well. He allowed them, the heathen nations, to come in there and kick them. Make them pay. Kill their people. And over the centuries, I mean, they didn't, they never really got over it. They never changed it. To the point where he said, 
This is the last one. This is it. And he destroyed them. He sent in these nations to destroy them. Ezekiel 16. And he's talking to, uh, to Israel about what, what they've done. And let's see, verse 38. He says, I will judge you as women who break bread, oh, breadlock. <laughs> who break wedlock or shed blood or judged. I will bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. Because you were supposed to be mine. So he's going to erupt out of that zeal. I will also give you into their hand, and they shall throw down your shrines, break down your high places. That's the places where they did their adulterous worship. They shall also strip you of your clothes, take your beautiful jewelry, and leave you naked and bare. They shall also bring up an assembly against you, and they shall stone you with stones and thrust you through with their swords. So there's your death. They shall burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. And I will make you cease playing the harlot, and you shall no longer hire lovers. And he did it. All right, he did it. But look what he says next, verse 42. So then I will lay to rest my fury toward you, and my jealousy shall depart from you. I will be quiet. And be angry no more. It's really interesting that uh, from this point forward in the Old Testament, the zeal of the Lord concerning Israel had a different tone to it. Because right here, he did what he said he would do if they, if they continued. He was, he was good for his word. But he stopped that day. From firing at him like he, like he was. It was no more that way. But he wasn't through with his zeal. Typical. What these people did that came in to be the instrument of the Lord, they went too far. Look over in uh, chapter 36 of Ezekiel. He's going to address now the nation's that were his instrument in smiting Israel and destroying her, giving her the fullness of the, of the covenant curse. Chapter five, chapter 36, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom. Edom is kind of representative of the, of the uh, Gentiles. So he's... He said, I'm going to take my jealousy off of you, Israel. And now I'm going to turn it. I'm going to focus on these guys that came in to you. I want to focus my jealousy against all these nations who gave my land to themselves as a possession. With wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. In other words, they thought, I'll do whatever I want to I can do whatever I want to, and I want to do it. God says, okay. I mean, I want to let you get by with this until, until it's over for my people, and then I want to deal with you. Verse 6. Therefore, prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy 
and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. He's telling my people, because you went ahead and bore the shame of the nations, because what you did, everybody else was doing too, but I smote you. Because you went ahead and let me do that. Therefore, verse 7, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around about you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people in Israel, for they're about to come. So he's switching gears. As a matter of fact, his intent, look over in Zephaniah, if you would, Zephaniah. Zephaniah was one of the end time uh, in the Old Testament prophets. Zephaniah, chapter 3, he speaks to the same point this prophet does. Chapter 3 of Zephaniah, verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. Until the day I rise up for plunder, my determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Now, that's an interesting term there to me. Why? You know, you remember we said earlier, the way the Bible uses this word, this zeal usually comes up either as jealous or envy. You're jealous to the things that belong to you. You're envious for the things that don't belong to you. Why is God turning his jealousy to these foreign nations? Doesn't it sort of imply that they really belong to him? They really do belong to him. So he's not doing this because they belong to the devil. The devil has claimed them. He said, no, you know, actually, from the get-go, before there was a day ever written, they were mine. And the plan of God throughout the centuries has been, in order to get the whole world that rightfully he deserves, he had to go through a small group of them to bring forth Jesus Christ. He literally had to start with a small group because a big group would have screwed it up. A small group, Israel, to bring forth one thing, Jesus. And once he did that, he didn't have to worry about them anymore. But the rest of the people, you think God just wants to blow us off? No, we're all here because he didn't stop with Israel. So he says, I want to die, I want to turn my jealousy, just like I did on Israel. And don't mistake it. You know, that I'm just here to hammer them. I want to to get rid of the the rebels. But I want my people. And I want to do what it takes to get to them. Whatever it takes to get to them. Look at verse 9. So then I will restore to the peoples, not just Israel, the peoples, everybody, a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. If that's not an evangelistic scripture, I mean, I do not know one. He's talking about the whole world. But how does he get there, people? He has to call them all together. Now, this sounds like the book of Revelation to me. And he will gather us all together. And there will be those that will, you know, be stupid enough to fight him. Don't worry about them. They'll be gone. But he's going to do it. To get to those who will serve him. And there will be a bunch of them. 
There's more people in heaven than just Jews. Millions and millions and billions of people that God calls his own. They haven't got there yet, but he's going to get there. In fact, it's been prophesied, it started in 2020. There's going to be a billion people get saved. A billion people. Gosh, that's a lot of people. So what's it going to do to get there? We know how he fixed Israel. It was through a lot of trouble, right? A lot of bad trouble. You think there might be a similarity coming our way? Maybe. What's going to cause the whole world to begin to turn to God and a billion people get saved? Something cataclysmic, I think. That's the only thing that will get their attention. Otherwise, it's just going to be a competition. My God is good as your God. Something shakes them. It makes them realize that what they're standing on is shaky ground. He's going to get their attention. So what will he do? He's going to restore what was lost. You know, when he put man and woman down here on this earth in Eden, you know what he told them to do? Go rule the whole earth. Have dominion over the entire world. It's yours to rule. What happened? We listened to the wrong father and we lost it. We lost our dominion. But look over at Isaiah 9. He addresses the lost dominion right here. Verse 6. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that's Jesus. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government. That's that dominion. I'm going to run the whole thing. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Interesting. What performs this? The zeal of the Lord. See, you're only zealous or jealous for that which belongs to you. And what belongs to him is this dominion over everything. He's going to claim it back. He's going to say, it was always mine. You just rented it for a while. I'm taking it back. And he's going to restore that relationship that that man once had in the Garden of Eden with God. And he will use you. He told his disciples, you're going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the people of Israel. And all through the books of, of Revelation to the churches, several of them have this call to sit on the throne with Jesus, ruling. He's claiming it back. But it's not going to just stop with the government and the dominion. Folks, the whole story about zeal is marriage. It ends in marriage. When God started the thing in in Eden, the first Adam, what was the problem? He was alone. And he said it's not good for him to be alone, so he made Eve. He brought a bride to him. 
Now, if the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to secure back our dominion, do you think the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to have anything to do with bringing back his bride? I think it's the same driver. Look with me in Psalms 19. You don't see the word used here, but you see the definition of it being expressed here. Psalm 19, verse 4, the latter part of it, talks about the heavens. And it says, their words, in going out, in them, in the heavens, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Now, this is, this is metaphorical here. The sun. He's going to describe something for you. The sun is like, verse 5, is like a bridegroom coming out of this chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It's rising. It's from one end of the heaven and its circuit to the other end. There is nothing hidden from its heat. And that word heat is one that we would use to describe zeal. So the bridegroom at this end thing is standing there. I mean, he is looking over the entire creation of earth. And there's nothing that can hide from his gaze. And he's looking for one thing, his bride. And I mean, he is full of zeal. And there ain't nothing going to stop him. He will take on anything. He will roar like a man of war, to take on the enemies that have stolen his bride from him. He's going to take them down. You ought to read the descriptions of Jesus when he comes back. I mean, like these eyes, like flaming eyes. I mean, that's zeal. Out of his mouth is his sword, in which he will destroy the, the nations which dare try to take his inheritance. He's coming with an amazing display of what's in his heart. So, I'm kind of pumped about this whole zeal thing. But, I think you deserve, and God deserves, for us to begin to understand zeal. If you remember what Al said in, in the meeting sayings he had concerning justice, the trigger for doing it right, is the zeal of the Lord. That's what triggers it. Now, when it comes to strong emotion, how can you know if it's right? I'll give you an example. Road rage. Would you call that zeal? I would. I mean, that lane belongs to me. And that guy dropping 90 miles an hour trying to cut me off. I'm, he ain't going to do it. No. Am I right? No. <laughs> you know. does, it, does it rise up in you? Does zeal rise up when it's being misapplied? Of course it does. That's why we need to talk about it. We need to bring it out into the open. Because what I see, and this is this key, what I see is zeal is driving divisions in the body of Christ to the point where big segments of the body of Christ 
will choose leaders that hate God. That's the truth. So what is wrong? We can pretend it's not there, but it is there. So then it becomes, well, what do you do about it? Well, you better be full of the Spirit of the Lord. Because, see, his, his zeal cleanses his temple. Amen. That's a good one. He cleanses it. And how does he cleanse it? With love. So we got a long ways to go here. And I, what I see, what I see is it's not, I'm trying to duck it, but it's not being ducked. It's attacking. In other words, God has an agenda, and he's not going to ignore it anymore. <laughs> it's hard. So you should be praying. And may I suggest one last thing? You should consider fasting. I want to get back on that wagon myself. I've been on it for a while. But Austin, no way I could fast. Fasting is a good way to get a hold of your will and subject it. It really is. So as you read your Bible regularly, from cover to cover, and you pray like you should every day, consider fasting. It's like a stick of dynamite. You throw that into the equation, stuff moves. Some things are so powerful against us that even Jesus himself said, some only come out by prayer and fasting. That is true. And I find that the biggest one that resists coming out is my own will. Amen. Did y'all learn anything? Okay. Pardon me for the bad jokes. I hadn't been in the pulpit in a while. I need to clean it up a little bit. Refine it somewhat. Tonight at 6, we get to worship again. I'm so looking forward to that. And then knuckleheads will all break out and go do what they do. Read the Bible. That's what you, they are. Knuckleheads. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You can't even take a, you know, a compliment. So who's teaching tonight? Oh, really? Miss Google. Mrs. Google. Far out. That's an old term. Y'all, y'all wouldn't understand what I just said. Far out. Far out, dude. It's cool. Yo. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and, uh, and the, the meaning of it all. Lord, and just let it soak into us, God. Bring it to us and stir it in us. And let us pursue what that really means for us. Because you know what, Lord? We want it to be right. If you're that much into us, I want to be that much into you. And I know with you, it's completely pure. The wisdom that comes down from above is first pure. No adhesions, no, oh, I wish that wasn't souls. None of it. Cleanse us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you all tonight.